they end up getting signed up and put on a schedule, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, by the way. Well, again, it is uh, really, really good to be back. And honestly, uh, worship was wonderful this morning. One of the things that I love and one of the things I've missed most during this time um, has been being with my church family. Um, my wife and I, we'll, we'll, I'll share about that on, on another occasion, but we had a really cool trip where we got to see lots of national parks and see some beautiful things. I got to worship with some other congregations during this time as well. Um, but there, it's sort of like when you've been on a long trip and you come home and sleep in your own bed. You know what I mean? Where it's like, this is my pillow. I got all the things and it just feels right. There's something about worship. And here's the thing. It's not because of Uh, the music. It's not because of the room. It's not because of the programs. It's because of the people. The most wonderful thing about our church is not any of the staff members. Uh, It's not the programs we have. It's not um, how the stage looks. It's you. It is the people of God whose hearts are united together by Christ, who desire to love one another and to advance his kingdom here in this town and around the world. So it is so, so great to be back. And I want to say thank you so much. I was um, welcomed this week back uh, with lots of wonderful cards and goodies and things like that. And I just want to say um, thank you. Thank you so much. But I do have to tell you a funny story. So my first day back was Thursday. And so I'm, I'm, I'm walking into uh, the office. I grab out my keys. And I have that funny because I'm just, I'm a little messed up. You, if you know me, you know that. And I remember thinking like, what if they changed the locks on me? That'd be kind of funny. Like that'd actually be a pretty good joke. Kind of an expensive one, but pretty good. And so um, I get out my keys and I put it in and it won't turn. And I'm like, oh gosh. And then I realized it's one of those, if you ever experienced, kind of, I think it was just really humid and it wouldn't turn for a second. And I finally get it to turn over and I'm like, okay, good, we're we're in the clear. And then I go to open the door and it won't open. And I realized normally our offices are are, are locked up, uh, but at this moment, um, someone is already there and they're already locked it and I just locked myself out. But anyways, it feels great to be back. It feels great to be welcomed back. Um, obviously, it's going to take a few weeks for my brain to get back to full capacity, although it's never really been at full capacity. So um, we, we will see if this whole preaching thing is like riding a bike, which we are teaching my oldest right now to ride a bike without training wheels, and goodness gracious, is that difficult. So if you have tips, see me after um, service. In 1919, uh, there was a man by the name of Charles who... Uh, many years before, had immigrated over from Italy to America. And uh, like many uh, people who came to America in that time, there was this sense of um, excitement and opportunity, of a way to make a, a better life for oneself, to be able to maybe strike it rich. And this man named Charles had this uh, great idea. He, he had figured out that if someone would buy stamps in one country for a lower price, that if they brought them to another country, that they would be able to exchange those stamps for a profit. And so he began to realize that maybe this would be a great way to make some money. And he set up shop and he began to get investors. And he told all of his investors, if you give me this money, I promise that within 90 days, I'm essentially going to triple your return back. And the crazy thing is, the guy did it. 
And he began to gather more and more investors into this idea of buying stamps and basically exchanging them to get more money. People saw this whole get-rich-quick thing going on, and they wanted in. Who wouldn't? And yet pretty quickly, uh, it began to realize that the money was drying up. You see, what was happening is this man named Charles was getting money from investors, pocketing most of all of it, and then as he would get new investors, he would pay back the old investors. And it didn't last very long. In 1920, eventually, uh, the jig was up. Charles was caught, and he suffered great consequence for his crimes and for his lies, and so did the people who were involved in this scheme. Charles' last name is Ponzi, and maybe you've heard of something called a Ponzi scheme before. Uh, Maybe you remember the name Bertie Madoff um, uh, a few years back who had this giant Ponzi scheme going on that eventually uh, landed him and many people in deep water, all because people lied and chose to believe in and live out lies. This morning, we are going to be starting a brand new series called Who Told You That? And this series is going to be centering around this idea that we live in a culture saturated with lies. We hear lies uh, on TV from the media, from politicians. We hear lies from uh, people whom we love and trust. We hear lies from people in authority and people who we just meet randomly on the street. In many ways, lies are the common language in our culture. And this isn't new. This has gone across human history. But more and more today, I uh, have continued to see uh, people not only falling for lies, but living them out. You know, as I um, had a lot of time to reflect during my time of sabbatical, one of the things that I had to come to the painful reality of is the fact that I myself have had lies that either have been passed on to me through generational uh, trauma or things where, where just my family has bought into a certain mentality or just through what culture has handed me. And I've had to, had to come to the painful realization that there are parts of my life in which I am not living in the truth. And yet I know that, as Jesus would say, that the truth will set us free. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to explore this idea of uh, what are lies? Where do they come from? Why are they so dangerous and destructive? And we're going to spend a, a few weeks talking about some common lies that we, we fall into, lies that we believe about God, lies that we believe about our purpose, lies that we believe about others, and lies that we believe about ourselves. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about lies like my kids tell. Sometimes my son Gideon likes to think it's like a funny joke and be like, hey, daddy, you're, all your hair just fell out. And it brings him great joy if I just go like, oh, man, you got me so good made you look. It's not lies like my, um, my, my youngest son, Silas, when he will literally punch his brother while I am directly looking at them. And I say, Silas, why did you punch him? I did not. <laughs> it was someone else. Who? His imposter. You see, the hard part is lies, right? All good lies, just like Charles Ponzi and his scheme, all good lies have elements of truth and lots of ambiguity. The thing is, most of us, we don't fall for very obvious, stupid lies. We fall 
for lies that are subtle, that are insidious, that get deep inside of our core of who we are and what we believe. And I want us to think through what those are and how do we deal with them. Because again, as, I, as I've reflected, I've, I've come, come to this realization that, that in many ways, most of my issues in my own life, and I would be willing to bet it'd probably be true of your life as well, most of the issues in my life would be resolved if I stopped believing and living out lies. If I would just choose to believe in the truth. If I would just trust Jesus at his word. So we're going to talk about that. And the Bible talks a ton about this. I'm reading through different scholars. Some would say there's probably around 150 different references and verses and moments in the Bible where we realize that lying is not good. It's not something we should do. It's not something we should buy into. It's not something that is conducive with the way of God. And so it's a very um, popular and important theme. In Proverbs uh, chapter 12, this is a book of wisdom, which has lots of um, um, sayings about this, but it says this, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. In the Psalms, it says this, I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house and liars will not stay in my presence. Lies are something that God cannot stand and cannot stand for. So let's talk a little about what are lies. Lies are harmful distortions and deceptions of the truth. They are things in which uh, sometimes may have elements of truth in them, but ultimately they are a distortion of the truth. They ultimately are a deception of what is really going on in reality. And they're incredibly harmful. Lies, they have consequences. Lies, they leave us empty and broken. Lies, they hurt others and ourselves. Lies, they're an assault ultimately on the truth. And and maybe most importantly, lies separate us from God and others. Oftentimes, uh, I can most often see relationships falling apart, whether it's a marriage or within just a a family in general, even friendships when lies are present, right? We continue to see that. And it's in particular just this reality that all lies eventually come to the surface. And all lies will have consequences, not only for the one lying, but the ones who may believe the lies or the ones who are involved in it. And the truth is, the hard part about lies is in many ways, uh, they are something that sometimes there are casualties who haven't even believed in the lie, aren't even there. They just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. John Mark Comer is a um, pastor originally from uh, the Portland, Oregon area, and he wrote a book called Live No Lies. It's a really great book if you want to read it at some point. Um, But I remember reading a couple years ago, and this quote struck me from it. He says this, the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies, and they wreak havoc in our souls. You see, so many of us, whether we recognize it or not, have had lies that have been given to us that when we in turn have believed in them and lived them out, it has caused damage inside our soul that is only possible to experience healing from by the power of God. And so we're going to talk about it. This morning, I want to talk about the, the, the source of lies, the dangers of lies, and some of the hope that we have in how we can fight against the lies that are given to us. In uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, 
Jesus gives us this, um, uh, th- th- this template to understand really where they come from. And he begins to talk about the reality of the fact that we have an enemy that we may call the deceiver or the tempter or Satan or the devil. And he says this about him. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, a, a quick moment to talk about the devil. Popular culture has, has made it where in many ways we have kind of cartoonized and um, almost become a laughable thing about like, oh yeah, the devil. <laughs> and some of us, maybe if we are really honest, um, we feel like, well, we're enlightened, we, you know, we're people of science and facts and things like this, and this is obviously just a kind of a mythical idea of evil in our world. Yeah, one of the interesting things is the more like, you read Scripture, and in particular, the more you study the words and the teachings of Jesus, Jesus takes it pretty serious, the fact that we have an enemy. And he talks about how this enemy um, seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And that in many ways, um, not to get like weird, but like in many ways, like his greatest goal is to like destroy us, to separate us from God, not just in this world, but forever. And to be honest, he's pretty good at it. And I think sometimes when we sort of like laugh off, like, ha like I think there's this piece where it's like, are we letting our guard down to allow ourselves uh, to not fully see the truth? And yet Jesus says like, this guy is a jerk. And he understands. He knows. Because if we go back to the very beginning, we understand what he means by he is the father of lies. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And if you don't know this story, uh, essentially it goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all, all the things that we have on earth, including us. And he created us in his image. And it was good. And God saw that this man that he created named Adam uh, couldn't find a suitable helper. And so he created woman, his ultimate creation, right? Ladies, that was your moment to say amen. God's ultimate creation. Gosh, guys, if you would have said amen, I I set you up for a slam dunk, guys. (sighs) This is why the, the second one was better. He improved. Anyways. So he, he, he creates them, and he sets them in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And he has them working, and they have purpose, and they have whole relationship with him. And he gives them one singular rule, one guideline. He says, there is this one tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat from any other tree, anything you want. This is all yours, just this one tree. Do not eat from it, because you will surely die. And this is what ends up happening. We, we catch up in the story in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Amen. Snakes are icky, right? Let's just be honest. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Now, immediately, what does the deceiver, what does the tempter, what does the devil do? 
He doesn't outright tell an obvious lie. He doesn't try to do like my sons, right, where it's going to be pretty obvious. He asks a question that raises doubt and deception and distortion of the truth, this one rule. And she begins to kind of take a bite at the bait that he has set out. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for eating and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, he took, she took some and ate some. Now, in, uh, in James, it talks about this idea of temptation, right? Temptation, we see something, it gives in to our desires, and then eventually it drags us away. So this woman sees that this is, looks good. She's begin to maybe question the truth because a lie has been made present. And she takes a bite. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. By the way, again, yes, it was dumb that Eve ate it. And yes, I understand guys sometimes blame Eve for it. But he was standing there. Now I also understand, yes, you don't question a woman. You don't want to get hit, right? But he was standing there. He was dumb. He joined in in it. And he ate it with her. Then, both, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his woman heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. Now, think about this. So, they take a bite. That's got to be a crazy thing to realize you're naked, by the way. But it's really kind of a metaphor, right, of recognizing that there is something going on which God had already said was good, but when they take a bite and they realize it, they begin to introduce something into the world that was not created for us to experience, this thing called shame. Shame has to do with this reality of a feeling like there is a deficiency or something needs to be hidden. Think about it. We typically don't hide things that we want others to see. I mean, we tend to hide things unless it's buried treasure, um, which even then we don't want anyone else to get. We typically hide things that we feel shame about. You know, there's a reason. Maybe, maybe you have done the thing, right, where you broke mom's vase and either you try to hide it or you try to glue it back together. We tend to try to hide things from others. And this is the beginning of it all. The beginning of humanity having to feel this need to hide things that God never asked us to hide, that God never told us to have shame about. But they begin to experience it. And this is what it says. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And these are the words of God that have haunted me. He says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you, commanded you not to eat? These words have been spinning in my head um, the last handful of weeks when I've thought about the lies that I believe and the lies that I believe lots of others believe is this, this question that goes back to the very beginning of who told you that? Now, God obviously knows, right? He's, he's all-knowing. He's all-present. He, know, he knows this. He's, he's in some ways asking because he's trying to give them the opportunity to fess up. But he's also asking a question under the question. He's asking, who told you that? And it began to make me think about this question for my own life and maybe the, the lives of others. Who told you 
the lies that you believe and live out? Who told you uh, that you're not smart enough? Who told you uh, that you will only be loved if you wear a certain size clothes? Who told you that you're not strong enough? Who told you that you weren't a real man? Who told you that you could never find love if people would find out what you did? Who told you that you could never be forgiven? Who told you that if you reached a certain status, you would finally feel accomplished and successful? Who told you the lie that ultimately eats away at you every single day? And one of the things that God does in this moment is he's not asking them a trick question. He knows the answer. I think one of the things that God is trying to get to them about is this reality of, do you know who didn't tell you this? Me. I didn't tell you that you weren't man enough. I didn't tell you that you were ugly. I didn't tell you that you would only experience love if you did X, Y, and Z. I didn't tell you that you had to have so much money in your bank account to feel like you were successful and safe. I didn't say that you would never amount to anything. I didn't say that you couldn't be forgiven. I said the opposite. And obviously this whole fall of man stems into this bad spiral of sin and shame that enters into our world that we are constantly having to fight against and constantly having to seek God out to give us a sense of healing and hope. You see, the truth is God can only tell us the truth. There's nothing about God in which he will lie to us or tell us something that is against the truth. He only speaks the truth, yet we recognize that the source of all the lies that we have come to believe ultimately go back to the garden, ultimately go back to the crafty serpent, the devil, whose greatest assault on humanity is distracting us, distorting the truth, deceiving us from believing in God at his word. Ultimately, God was right. Because he says the wages of sin, which is separation, which begins from the garden, the wages of sin are death. You see, in many ways, it would have been better if they would have just died when they took a bite of the apple and it'd be over. Instead, they had to continue in life just like us, we live in a world where we are given the opportunity to constantly take the bite of an apple that will never satisfy us, that will separate us from God, and that will make us feel like we are naked and we need to hide everything. What do we do about this? What do we do about this? I want us to go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 um, to get a little bit of a template that will help us the rest of this series to talk about how do we fight against these lies? We know they're dangerous. We know they wreak havoc on our soul. We know that they're there. How do we fight against them? So this incredible story, right, of Scripture is the long game that God has, right? Because the Bible is a library of books that tells the ultimate love story of a God that despite people rebelling against him, despite people constantly living and believing lies, he constantly sought to redeem and restore the broken relationship, to ultimately bring the truth to their forefront. And we know sort of the climax of this story is that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world 
to not just show us the way to live, but to ultimately be the way for us. And this is what happens. Jesus is about to start his public ministry. He's been baptized, and immediately he is taken to be tempted. He has sort of a one-on-one game of basketball versus the deceiver, which that's not how it really happens, but if I could write a modern interpretation of the Bible, like wouldn't it just be awesome to see them play like a game of pickup basketball? But here's what it says actually in Scripture. This is Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are, he's asking a question, he's he's putting doubt, he's in some ways trying to do the classic, like if you're man enough, let's see what you can do. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus doesn't bite, though. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on, the, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is also written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This story is an incredible um, template for us to understand how we too can fight, as Scripture talks about, against the devil in his schemes. You see, what's interesting is everything Jesus does is something that we could do as well. One of the things that I love about when we study Jesus is ultimately everything he does is based off the truth that we find in Scripture or through the power of the Holy Spirit, both of which are gifts that God quite literally has given to every single one of us who choose to follow Jesus. Like, it's not like Jesus got this unfair advantage. We are literally getting the same stuff that he has. Now, what happens, right? Jesus is invited to try to believe in a lie. The devil couldn't do any of that, but he he has given him this idea of like, well, what if you could? His whole goal in this, right, is to get him to betray the Father, to bow down essentially allegiance to him. And every time, what does Jesus come back with? He comes back with truth from God's word. Every time he is tempted to try to believe a distortion of the truth, ultimately Jesus comes back, hits him with a fadeaway J of truth. Now, what's interesting, right, though, is we see how crafty the devil is, right? Because on the second time, what does he do? He's like, well, actually, it's also written. And here's the thing that's really difficult that we have to be incredibly careful about, which is weird as a pastor to say, right? The reality is one of the hard parts about living in this world that is full of lies is there are people who look like me, who stand on places like this, who also sometimes tell lies, sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident, regardless They're distortions and deceptions of the truth, which is why I encourage every single one of you, don't take my word for it. Look at Scripture. Seek the Holy Spirit. 
If you have a question about something I say, come talk to me. I would be glad to tell you how I might be wrong and how we can go look at the source together. But ultimately, Jesus knows, though, again, hey, you're trying to tell me this, but it doesn't really mean that. Let me tell you the truth. Fade away. Lay up finger roll, right? He gets him. And again, he continues on one more time, just trying to get him to have any sort of believing in a lie. And then, of course, we know that Jesus throws it off the backboard, ultimately dunks it on him, pushes him away, says, away from me, Satan. We've all seen Shaquille O'Neal do that dunk before, right? Yes. And that's what happens. But here's the thing. Everything about what Jesus did is something that you and I can do as well. Every time we encounter something where there is a lie that we are given to try to believe, something about our identity, something about our God, something about others, something about our purpose, we can look to the scriptures to counter back and say, no, 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 I don't know that that's true. And I refuse to believe that, and I refuse to walk in living out that lie, everything he does. Because ultimately, here's one of the things that God taught me during this last season, that the antidote to a lie is the truth. If you ultimately want to experience some sort of healing from a lie in your life, the only way that you actually can do it is by proclaiming, believing, and living out the truth. And the interesting thing is, we have a world that is full of solutions to these things that oftentimes are just sort of like Charles Ponzi or Bernie Madoff, just another scheme to get us into the hamster wheel of trying to find wholeness and hope and healing in our life, in things that may even be really good things, but are not ultimate things. Things that may bring us temporary comfort and rest, but cannot ultimately save our soul. In, uh, in, a, uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's been interesting, my um, oldest Gideon, uh, if you try to find him after service, um, he can whistle if he just opens his mouth because he has lost his uh, two front teeth, uh, which has been quite the journey, by the way. Um, no one told me that part of parenting would be dealing with kids not wanting to pull out their teeth uh, and having, having tearful arguments about this. Uh, but one of the things that he, of course, has loved is every time, you know, the tooth comes out, we put it under the pillow, and, uh, and we have a little visitor, right, from, from the tooth fairy. And, uh, you know, we get, get, a, get a dollar bill or something like that, which is sort of fun. And, uh, of course, I've teased him at times, like, are you sure it's real? He's like, of course it is. They don't print their own money. And I'm like, that's fair. Tooth fairy knows, uh, you know, kind of the exchange rate. It's interesting, though, Right? Since the beginning of time when there has been currency, there has also been people who have made counterfeits, who, 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 again, have looked for a way to distort the truth, to deceive, and to make some sort of gain. It's interesting. Uh, do, you, do you know how they teach people how to catch a counterfeit? What's interesting about it is they don't begin teaching people how to spot a counterfeit by telling them all of the latest, greatest signs of where a counterfeit is. And part of the reason is because it's constantly evolving. People are finding new ways to do this, right? And in the same way, even though all the lies that are in the world are the same, just repackaged in different ways, ultimately what they tend to do to teach people how to spot a counterfeit is they show them an authentic, true 
bill, or coin. And they have them study it to see what does the legit thing actually look like. And so when they have something that is questionable, they look at that and they try to look and see, does this actually match up to it? And if there's something that is different than what is the true, authentic, real thing, they can begin to realize that this is a lie. This is a counterfeit. And ultimately what Jesus teaches us, what he gives us a roadmap for, is this idea that we do not need, and we don't need as parents or grandparents either, to teach our kids what the lies in the world are. We need to teach them what the truth is so that way they can understand when something is presented to them. When someone comes along and tells them something, they can go back and say, that's not what my heavenly father said. When someone comes along and tries to tell them that they aren't good enough, that they're ugly, that they're stupid, that they'll never measure up, that they cannot experience wholeness and healing, they can look back and be like, no, 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 no. I wasn't taught what the lies were. I was taught what the truth is. And I stand on that truth. I know that truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said these words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Every single one of us are susceptible and doomed to not only believe lies, but to live out lies if we don't ultimately come to a place of knowing Jesus, to realize that he is our only way, that ultimately he is the truth that we need in a world full of lies, and that ultimately that's our way to relationship in this world and the next with our Heavenly Father. That's our way back to Eden, back before the fall, And the awesome thing is it's available to any single one of us who would be willing to just acknowledge him as Lord, to experience his forgiveness. And Jesus also said this, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A couple last things before Pastor Cole comes, and he's going to sing one last song, uh, lead us in one last song. Only Jesus can set us free from the lies that we believe and live out. You can go to all the therapy in the world, which is really great, by the way. Find an incredible Christian counselor. I think it's a great thing. I do it myself. It is wonderful. It is a gift. Do those things. But all of the self-care, all of the like healing, all of that sort of stuff is great. But if you don't got Jesus involved in it, ultimately it is going to be temporary and not down to the roots. Ultimately, it's going to leave us at a place where we may be able to spot the lies, but we're still not really knowing what the truth is. And we have to find a place where we begin to just believe that Jesus is who he says he is, to actually take him at his word. Because ultimately, that was Adam and Eve's problem, right? Their problem was, ultimately, their sin was their lack of trust in God and just trusting that he really was truthful in what he was saying and that he knows best for us. And so the question I'll I'll leave us with to ponder as we're going to sing one last song is, will we look to Jesus or will we look to lies? Ultimately, as we think about our life, because every single one of us wrestles with our purpose, our identity, how we will live, our framework to the world, all of us have the question to ask and wrestle with is, will we look to Jesus when the lies are present or will we just lean into the lies? And here's the hard part. Sometimes, truthfully, it's probably easier to just kind of fall in line into the ways of the world and to believe the lies and to live it out. 
And yet, ultimately, we know that the only things that bring us freedom and hope and joy and peace are to live like Jesus, to look to him amongst all other things, to allow him to transform our hearts and our lives to the point where when the rest of the world's schedule looks like this, ours looks like this. When the rest of the world's finances look like this, ours look like this. When our parenting, our marriage, all of these sort of things begin to look different because we are living in the truth rather than living out lies. I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and stand with me. And uh, Pastor Cole's going to come out and we're going to sing uh, one last song. Uh, but as we do so, uh, I would encourage you as you go ahead and uh, bow your heads and close your eyes, I would encourage you to begin as we start off this series to ask God the tough question. Maybe you already know the answer, but to say, God, is there a lie that I, for whatever reason, continually succumb to? Maybe it's a lie about God himself. Maybe it's a lie about ourselves, our purpose. Or maybe it's a lie about other people. Whatever it is, would you ask God to begin to make his truth known to you. Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, again, so grateful for you. We're so grateful for the fact that we do not have to live out lies. We're so grateful for the fact that uh, though uh, sin and brokenness and shame has come into our world, we don't have to live like that anymore. That we can be set free, that we can be made whole, that we can experience healing. And Father, it starts with us just acknowledging the truth. Father, I pray this morning, there may be some in this room, maybe who have, who have never surrendered to you, who've never had real relationship with you, or maybe some who are just now, you are opening up their eyes to the reality of, of what's been going on in their life. Father, I pray this morning that, that people would experience the freedom just to turn to you, to say, Father, I am sorry for the ways that I've believed lies and I've lived them out. Father, help me to experience your truth, to experience your freedom, to be with you. And Father, would you, would you help us just to walk in truth and in light and in love? Father, speak to us as we sing this last song, and would we truly just keep our eyes on you because it's the only thing that is constant and good in this world that won't lead us down the way of lies. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.